I'm Scott Lucas, and this is World Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us today as we examine, well, let me start with a statement about what we're examining from Turkey's President Erdogan. Uh, last month, in late December, uh, President Erdogan made an announcement that raised headlines around the world, in Turkey, in Israel, and in watching countries. Only days after Israel had begun striking what are called the Abrahamic Accords for better relations, indeed normalization of relations with countries such as the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco, Erdogan said at a press conference that he was also hoping for better relations with Israel after a period during his prime ministership, his presidency, which had been far from stable in the contacts between the two countries on military, economic, and political fronts. Now, he did mention that, quote, we have some difficulties with the people at the top. Make of that what you will with uh, the longtime Israeli leader, Benjamin Netanyahu. But he also referred to the fact that below problems at the top and below the Palestine issue, which he said was still important to Turkey, mm -hmm. our relations with Israel and intelligence have not ceased anymore. They are still continuing. So is President Erdogan indicating that he's looking for better relations with Israel? And better relations means what? Does it actually mean better relations between those agencies, the intelligence and military agencies to which we is alluding? And what does that mean, not only on direct relations between the countries, but on areas where the countries are involved, from the Middle East to North Africa to the Eastern Mediterranean? Well, I thought I would ask the questions to someone who knows. Uh, Salim Nasi is a longtime freelance journalist and an international relations specialist. Congratulations on your PhD last year, Salim, which is on Turkish-Israeli relations. She has also published an article with uh, Soliozo, Professor Soliozo, who we just interviewed for World Unfiltered about Turkey and its view on the world. Uh, that article was on Turkey and Israel and the Syrian crisis. So uh, consider this a very, well, a sequel that will take our discussion even higher to what we discussed then. Selene, thank you so much for joining us on World Unfiltered. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a great pleasure to be here with you today, and I'm very much humbled uh, with your introduction. Thank you. Where shall we start? I mean, I think bilateral relations seem to be on a positive trajectory, uh, given the given President Erdogan's uh, latest statements. And uh, when I look at the negotiation process, as much as I'm reading from the press, both sides are trying to make clear about their, their uh, at least they're trying to make clear that they intend to improve relations, but they're also testing waters and trying to explore the points that each side is eager to compromise, perhaps. So I think we are moving towards a, you know, a positive ending, but we'll, we, we don't know when it's going to, how it's going to play out, but at least we know that there, it is possible, reconciliation is possible, yet there are also obstacles, and I'm sure we will discuss uh, in a detailed way today in our podcast. Shall I go back to uh, the background of how, how shall we proceed? I was going to ask think? you, I was going to ask you to help me out here because, <laughs> you know, here are the, here are these two, you know, very important countries in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the positions that they hold geographically, but also their political significance. Have relations been up and down, ver mm -hmm. verging between conflict and cooperation for decades, ever since Israel was formed? Or can we make some type of, as it were, you know, can we see some continuous line that has uh, been there? 
precisely, uh, Turkish-Israeli relations can be characterized uh, with ups and downs throughout uh, the history of bilateral relations. And it has always been a topic of academic interest. These are two uh, non-Arab, militarily strong, uh, Western-oriented, perhaps less so for Turkey nowadays, but still. Uh, and they are surrounded by an unstable geopolitical landscape. And uh, these two countries, uh, possible co cooperation is likely to alter balances in the region. So it has always been uh, a topic of interest. Uh, my understanding of Turkish-Israeli relations, particularly Turkey's Israel policy, is a continuous struggle between realpolitik and identity, in which the former has often prevailed, uh, at least until recent times, Scott. Uh, the Palestinian issue has always constituted a sensitive topic for Turkish society. It arose sympathy both from the left and from the right of the political spectrum. Turkey's deep sympathy for uh, the Palestinians' plight did not uh, prevent her from recognizing Israel or engaging in cooperation with her. Turkey became the first Muslim-majority country to recognize Israel in 1949. Uh, however, Turkish policymakers have also faced difficulty in striking a balance in their relations with Israel and the Muslim world. That is why Ankara has often preferred to keep relations, co cooperation with Israel at a low profile in order not to antagonize the Arab countries. But from a closer look, you can see that uh, in the history of bilateral relations, uh, Turkey's approach to the Arab-Israeli conflict has shown parallels to her changing political alignments. So it wasn't always you know, uh, a no to Israel. And, and, and it's also important to underline that Turkey's relations with Israel developed as a factor of her relations with the West, the United States in particular. Uh, in the wake of the Second World War, Turkey's aspiration to become a member of Western security structure catalyzed her recognition of Israel. And for a brief period uh, during the Democratic Party rule, Turkey, Israel and Iran, all concerned about the spread of Pan-Arabism and communism at that time, established a secret tri trilateral alliance uh, in uh, 1958 also known as the Trident. And this triangular pact linked their national intelligence uh, organizations, namely MIT, Mossad, and Savak. So the, the military cooperation between Turkey and Israel developed in such a, uh, such a degree that the, these two countries were about to uh, launch a military campaign against Syria, against Syria in 1959. Eventually, this offensive was never uh, carried out. But still, just to give you an idea of the degree of cooperation between these two countries. However, after, let's say, 1965, bilateral relations entered a period of estrangement uh, because of the Cyprus issue. Ankara sought diversification in foreign policy and therefore traded cooperation with Israel in order to win Arab support for Turkey's position on Cyprus in the international arena. And then came the oil crisis, you know, and this pushed, pushed Turkey to embrace a more pro-Palestinian stance with regard to the Arab-Israeli conflict hoping that they would be able to attract uh, Arab capital and financial support. But even during these uh, tough times, when relations hit low point, Turkey and Israel uh, avoided direct confrontation. And Israel always respected Turkey's stance and preference to maintain bilateral relations at a low key, but kept on emphasizing common interests, sought to develop cooperation, explored opportunities when available in order to upgrade uh, diplomatic relations. 
So in this, in this context, maybe I'm thinking about decade by decade, you know, coming, trying to get there. But the 1980s constitutes a transition period in Turkish-Israeli relations. Again, it is important to underline that Turkey's relations with the United States underwent a change because that, that period, you know, with international developments such as the Islamic Revolution in Iran and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan marked the end of that time and drew the United States' attention back to the Middle East and Asia, which subsequently elevated Turkey's strategic importance. And in this period, Turkey's deference to Arab countries continued, but Turkish policymakers also started to reassess Israel's significance as an ally. The Arab countries, especially the Arab countries, they refrained from recognizing Cyprus, Turkish Republic of Cyprus, and this caused a, a serious frustration on Turkey's side. At the time, Turkey also had trouble with Islamist organizations' terrorist activities, particularly the Ebu Nidal's organization. Mm. That Ebu Nidal was a dissident faction of the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, also known as the Black September back then. And Turkish officials were seriously concerned that the country was becoming a field for foreign militaries militants. So Ankara started to review its relations with the Arab world and especially its unconditional support for the Palestinian cause. However, I can say that the turmoil in the Middle East uh, delayed normalization in the 1980s between Turkey and Israel, particularly Tur Israel's passing of the controversial Jerusalem law in 1980 and then the, the attack on Iraq's nuclear plant Osirak. And then we have the annexation of Golan Heights and invasion of Lebanon and the outbreak of Intifada, of course, in 1986. So it was never the right time, perhaps. But moving to 1990s, this period stands out as an aberration in the history of bilateral relations. And it has, always, it has often been referred to as the golden years, the so-called golden years. There have been a number of overlapping factors which rendered this period unique. To begin with, the Oslo peace process, which started with the Madrid Conference of 1991, created a favorable climate for Turkey to mend ties with Israel, Turkey's rapprochement with, with Israel, to say it in a, a better way. Secondly, Turkey and Israel had shared interests and threat perceptions back then. Turkey's relations with its neighbors, namely Syria, Iraq, and Iran, deteriorated sharply uh, during this decade over PKK terrorism and the water issue. And in 1998, Turkey and Syria came to the brink of, of war. And this, this crisis culminated in the extradition of uh, the PKK leader from Damascus. Uh, Turkey's strategic alignment with Israel back then functionally functioned effectively in countering Syria and without triggering a regional war or a counter-alliance. So it worked really well. Another factor in facilitating rapprochement with Israel in the 1990s was the role of the Turkish armed forces, in my opinion, which promoted close defense ties with Israel. It was important because Israel became a significant ally for Turkey as a major arms supplier at a time when Turkey fighting insurgency at home faced difficulty in uh, obtaining arms and other equipment from Germany and the United States because of human rights concerns, of course, which has similarities. I can see some similar trends today. There was also a domestic politics dimension uh, of the Turkish uh, militaries promoting ties with Israel. The army considered Israel, Turkey's relations with Israel as an antidote to the rise of political Islam particularly from the mid-90s and onwards. So uh, Turkey's cordial ties with Israel became a benchmark of the country's pro-Western and secular identity, I can say. When, that's why when the welfare party 
uh, an Islamist party known for its uh, anti-Israeli and anti-Semitic uh, stance, became a, a coalition partner uh, in 1996. Its leader, Najmitin Erbakan, dragged his, his feet, yet eventually bowed to the pressure and signed the defense agreements with Israel. Again, one, I'm thinking, one has to highlight Turkey's ties with the United States when looking at Turkish-Israeli relations in that decade. During the Clinton administration, Turkey had problems, as I mentioned, with the U.S. Congress blocking arms sales, imposing a covert uh, embargo on Turkey. And in this respect, cooperation with Israel facilitated friendly ties with Washington, thanks to the influence of the Jewish lobbies. But Washington, too, came to see this flourishing cooperation to its benefit in terms of securing stability and order in the region. Therefore, the United States uh, threw its weight behind this cooperation and acted as a shadow partner, facilitating this cooperation almost like a triangle. So moving to the AK Party period, coming to the 2000s, uh, the bonds of trust uh, were so strong in the 1990s that what came afterwards has been perceived as a cooling off period. But perhaps it was a period of stabilization Indeed, the, the regional security structure, as well as the strategic incentives that made such a partnership between Turkey and Israel possible, had already changed even before the Ak Party came to power. That's why I don't fully agree with the commentators who argue that the Turkish-Israeli relations were bound to fail during the Ak Party period. To begin with, the outbreak of the uh, Second Intifada effectively put an end to the Oslo peace process. And then we had the Adana P uh, Protocol of 1998, uh, which paved the way for Turkey's normalization uh, of relations with its neighbors, which subsequently decreased Israel's uh, significance as a defense partner for Turkey. But still, the foundations of the bilateral ties uh, built during the golden years were so strong that it remain, they remained intact at least until 2008, I can say. That's you know such an excellent background. <laughs> One thing that I guess asking as a student here, through these ups and downs mm -hmm. from 1948 for the next 60 years, is there a continuity, say, for the Turkish military and Turkish intelligence services? Do they always have that relationship with Israeli counterparts, even when there are political tensions at the top? My hunch is yes, I think so. We can say that. We can say that. Uh, but the two countries prefer to keep their relations at a low key, I would say. I mean, from the outside, uh, you cannot say at which level the cooperation continues. But uh, these two countries have overlapping interests, even though their threat perceptions or threat priorities may differ throughout history. But there is also another point I would like to uh, make, um, and it is related to the role uh, of the Turkish military, of course, because it is important, I think, one of the factors which caused a change in Turkish-Israeli relations during the AK Party period is that throughout, parallel to the EU reform packages, the military was ultimately sidelined from politics, excluded from politics, which is, from a democratic perspective, a good thing, of course. But Turkish military uh, constituted the backbone of Turkish-Israeli relations. Uh, and uh, so weakening of this pillar inevitably affected uh, Turkish-Israeli relations. So we're in the 21st century with, with first Prime Minister Erdogan, then President Erdogan and uh, AKP, the Justice and Development Party. You know, does, does Erdogan come in with this view of Israel as this sort of 
functional partner? Does he see it as a strategic partner? In other words, you know, this person who has been at the head of Turkish politics now for almost 20 years, when he first comes into the highest ranks of office, what is his vision of Israel? I think not so much different than the welfare party leader leadership or the welfare party, I would say, but Erdogan was also a pragmatic leader. That's why at least until the AK party consolidated its power at home, relations with Israel and relations with the West kept on uh, on the same trajectory. I mean, they continued without disruption because they didn't want to attract or they didn't want to alienate uh, the Turkish military forces. Uh, they were fully aware that reorientation, reorienting a foreign policy line uh, would be met with opposition, would receive criticisms from other institutions. So pragmatically, they, they continued uh, on the same foreign policy track. But when they felt uh, strong enough, and this was, I think they owed a lot to the post 9-11 context because 9-11 attacks elevated Turkey's profile in the international arena is the model country, as you know. And in this respect, the, the AK party's Muslim identity, along with its claimed commitment to democratic values and secularism, uh, received praise. Uh, and Turkey also benefited from the power vacuum in the post-Iraq war period. So parallel to its rising international image, Ankara felt encouraged and emboldened to pursue a more independent foreign policy line, uh, more independent than the West. And at that point, parallel also in addition to this, uh, the, the AK party's power consolidation at home eliminated possible rivals, especially the military. And this power consolidation provided the government a greater maneuver, greater room to maneuver in foreign affairs. Uh, therefore, Turkish policymakers were able to uh, pursue policies that displayed uh, more ideological perspectives and domestic political calculations. And that included not exactly severing relations, but perhaps keeping a distance. Or uh, I can say Turkey started to see Israel's uh, cooperation not as significant as it used to be. So something that can be sacrificed or uh, given up on Israel, I can say. And, and did this yeah. and did this did this sort of ideological or even identity politics manifest itself in terms of making Palestine the central issue? Or was it a question of Turkey leading the Muslim world? How was it presented? Exactly, exactly, precisely, especially with the, the Arab Spring, it provided a perfect opportunity for Ankara to fully implement that strategic death doctrine. So Turkey set a very high goal for herself, aspiring to become a a regional leader, and even a global power. So Turkey tried to establish an alternative power axis in the Middle East as an alternative to Saudi Arabia's Wahhabi ideology and Iran's Shia uh, crescent. Uh, so Turkey's Ottoman heritage uh, and its religious identity were in a way instrumentalized to promote this goal. And the leading emphasis on leading the Ummah, embracing the Palestinian issue as if it was a domestic matter, Ramping up the anti-Israeli rhetoric were all manifestations of this new policy uh, line, Scott, which, which continues up until today. And if we are going to see a reconciliation, that Turkey has to downplay this identity politics perspective a bit. I, I guess that leads me, and you know, we're not supposed mm -hmm. to deal in counterfactuals, but let's try. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Turkey succeeds with its Syria policy. So not only that they push back against Bashar al-Assad, possibly push mm -hmm. him out, but that the groups they work with are the ones that succeed rather than the Saudi-backed groups, the Qatari-backed groups. 
if Turkey gets more credit through the Arab world for that Syria policy, does that mean, in fact, they don't need Israel, that they actually have succeeded with that strategic depth after the Arab Spring? I think that that was their thinking. I mean, they're, okay. they're, yeah, that was what they have in their mind, but it didn't work out the way they expected. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is also interesting and quite ironic that Turkey and Israel uh, supported the uh, same groups without coordination, without coordinating with each other. Mm -hmm. That's also interesting. Um, so at the end of the day, they have common interests when it comes to balancing Iran in Syria. So it is really interesting to study you know, throughout what happened throughout the Syrian civil war and the, the positions of these two countries shifting and shifting in a parallel way, uh, interestingly, even though they don't have any coordination or cooperation or maybe there, there is, but we don't know yet. Maybe in the upcoming years, we will see, we will learn more about it. There is another country involved in this maneuvering over Syria, which of course is Russia. Mm -hmm. And we know that since 2016, uh, mm -hmm. we talked to Professor, uh, Professor Emre Ershin about this, mm -hmm. that there's this agreement mm -hmm. between Russia and Turkey to sort of co-op, well, not necessarily cooperate, but to work to deconfliction, de they call it. Mm -hmm. So Turkey has its space, Russia has its space. Has that come into the Israel dynamic as well? In other words, are we talking about three countries, Turkey, Russia, and Israel? That are maneuvering amongst themselves, what we might call a modus vivendi. But for 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 a common interest, almost mean? almost that you that you each have your sphere of influence in Syria, and mm -hmm. that if you have your sphere of influence in Syria, you can agree to work on wider issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, we can say so. We can say so. Uh, interestingly, uh, these both Turkey and uh, Israel uh, have. I, I wouldn't say. Of course, we, given the problems between Washington and Ankara, relations are not that strong and uh, as strong as it used to be, at least. But still, they have good relations with the United States. At least uh, the, Turkey is also trying to improve relations uh, with the United States. And given the fact that it is still a, a NATO ally, so we can say that these are two Western-oriented countries still. So interestingly, they uh, balance, uh, they provide a counterweight to Russia. Russian influence in the Middle East as well, apart from the modus vivendi among them, of course, because Russia also, you know, allows Turkey to continue its to, to have her own area of influence. But on the other hand, we don't know what's going to happen once the negotiations, uh, you know, unfold between Washington and Ankara, because probably uh, Kremlin would be twisting uh, the screw uh, more and more uh, on Idlib probably, and see how Turkey is going to, uh, you know, if, if Turkey uh, continue to move towards the United States or not. So uh, it will be a headache for Ankara, probably. Um, which, is, which is what makes our job so interesting, trying to read the next steps. <laughs> yeah, but, crisis but, is our job. <laughs> I guess, let me ask you, I guess, a general question out of that, and out of that, you know, that rich historical analysis you gave me. It struck me that in the past, sometimes you know, Turkish-Israeli relations, there was an incentive to sort of work together in part because you were working with Washington. So, you know, the Israelis, you know, are getting American support. Turkey has an important strategic position. So Turkey and Israel cooperate together. It strikes me that now might be a bit different, that uh, there's been Israeli skepticism 
about the Obama administration in recent years. They've got the incoming Biden administration where they may be a bit skeptical. Turkey, we know, has had its issues with the Obama administration, especially over a perceived lack of U.S. support during the 2016 coup attempt. Uh, to what extent is this Turkey-Israeli relationship in recent years sort of a coming together and possi possibly because both of them have problems with the United States or that the United States is not necessarily at the center of their calculations as it might have been in the past? Uh, yes and no, I would okay. say. Uh, yes, there were times that Turkey, especially during the Obama administration, tried to present herself to Washington as a, uh, as a better ally compared to Israel uh, in terms of securing order in the Middle East, that it had better connections. It was, a, it was a country that had, you know, that had the power to talk to every country and, and various uh, organizations, various non-state actors as well. Uh, but things have changed dramatically since then, as we know. Today, it is not the issue. I mean, Turkey is facing a regional isolation. So even though Biden administration would not be as you know, pro-Israeli as the Trump administration, I don't think President Biden is going to take back the, the steps or the decisions, overall the decisions taken during the Trump administration, such as you know, moving the embassy back to mm -hmm. Tel Aviv or that kind of decision. So they will continue their Israel policy, but with a, perhaps uh, providing more support to the Palestinians and trying to be more balanced in terms of, you know, striking a balance between Israelis and the Palestinians, at least. That's my expectation. Uh, when it comes to the Middle East policy, uh, I think uh, I, I see a continuation of a trend, uh, which is regionalism. Uh, and that is connected, very much connected to what is happening at the international uh, level, uh, internet, what is happening at, in the international system. The United States is no longer a global leader. I mean, it's a, it's a waning, waning global power, uh, to say it in a correct way. So the U.S. retrenchment will continue. Uh, it started during the Obama administration. The, the Trump administration continued. It, it continued during the Trump administration. And now uh, it is going to continue during the Biden administration as well. So the, the Middle East is still an important area, an important region, but, but uh, as not important as it used to be. Uh, and uh, in order for the United States to divert its attention to Pacific, pivot to Pacific, and channel its energy and resources to Pacific region to peacefully managing the rise of China, uh, it has to uh, spend its resources or uh, use its resources in a smart way, uh, the rest of its resources, let's say. So uh, the United States needs allies, credible partners in the region to secure its interest in the region. The Middle East is important, of course, still continues to be an important region in terms of, you know, the energy resources. Okay, it's true, the United States is a self-sufficient, in terms of energy resources, is a self-sufficient country now, doesn't need the energy resources of the Middle East, but still for other allies and partners to get access to, the, uh, to these resources and also for the flow of trade to continue without disruption, it is important uh, that security and order is preserved in that region. And also Middle East constitutes an important leg of China's one belt, one road policy. Mm -hmm. So it is also important in terms of balancing and perhaps uh, encircling China in that region. 
So in, when I think about this, uh, I think Turkey can play an important role uh, in terms of you know, balancing against Russia, against Iran, and against China, perhaps, if, big if, Turkey can mend its ties with the countries in the region, uh, not only with Israel, but also Saudi Arabia and Egypt, of course. Uh, and this, this can pave the way for normalization of relations with other allies in the region and perhaps dial down tensions, thereby contribute to the peace and security in the region. So, Salih, we, you know, we've got this normalization of relations where you have, you know, Turkey and Israel within this context of the Arab world. But, but what changed specifically now? What changed to lead to maybe President Erdogan's speech last month? to open up this further possibility with Turkey and Israel? Well, uh, I would say uh, the cost of Turkey's identity-based foreign policy started to outweigh its benefits, Scott. Mm -hmm. For one thing, Turkey's support for the Muslim Brotherhood proved costly, undermining its uh, relations with Egypt and the Gulf countries and resulting in regional isolation. Turkey has repeatedly underlined that the Palestinian issue is its red line. However, this red line policy yielded to little to no practical outcome. And in the post-Arab spring period, particularly the rise of Iran's regional power and influence in the region has eclipsed Palestinian issue. On the other hand, Turkish policymakers' concentration on Syria, almost in an obsessive manner, caused Ankara to overlook developments in the Eastern Mediterranean. This informal energy cooperation initiated in the wake of the Mavi Marmara between Greece, uh, Israel, and then uh, Cyprus, Greek Cyprus, uh, evolved into a strategic alliance that ultimately, ultimately uh, excluded Turkey. Equally important is the fact that Turkey today is seeking more balanced relations with the West. So again, we see a similar trend coming back. Turkey's military campaign in, in Idlib back in uh, February 2020, showed the limits of Turkey's cooperation with Russia in a way, because the country's skies were under Russian air defense protection. On the other hand, the pandemic caught Turkey uh, in the middle of an economic crisis and unfortunately aggravated economic challenges. So given Ankara's huge debt, external debt, and the ongoing currency crisis, recalibrating relations with the West would be helpful in terms of attracting foreign investment. So in this backdrop, of course, recent developments have surely accelerated Ankara's search for a diplomatic opening. I'm referring to the prospect of sanctions from the United States and the EU. So my understanding of the statements from the high-level Turkish officials about establishing cordial relations with Israel, as well as the United States and the European Union, suggests to me that Ankara is seeking a possible reset in foreign policy. And does this mean also a reach out from Ankara towards Egypt and towards Saudi Arabia? Uh, negotiations are, uh, I think, being pursued. Ankara also extended an olive branch to Saudi Arabia and Egypt at the same time. At least at the intelligence level, there have been negotiations going on, as far as we read from the press. So these are simultaneously going on. So we've got almost in a sense, the return of this strategic depth that we kept hearing about a decade ago. <laughs> We've yeah. gone too deep. We have gone too deep. So we're trying to, you know, climb back and exactly. getting to get to the surface once right. again. So, so, so depth actually meant sinking and now you're trying to come back up to the top. I guess then to, to sort of wrap this up for now, 
then is how much of this opening does rest upon leader to leader in, in the sense of, you know, we have President Erdogan on the one side, mm -hmm. but we've got the fourth set of Israeli elections in what two years on the other. And we're mm -hmm. not sure it'll be a Benjamin Netanyahu on the other side. If either Erdogan or Netanyahu disappear, does this actually affect this? Or is this now sort of an institution to institution relationship that is developing? Well, it may affect, of course, but since Netanyahu's, both Netanyahu and Erdogan are likely to stay. So I think the two countries have to find a way to live together uh, in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a friendly way. They should find a way to reconcile with each other. And of course, the fact that Israelis are going to the polls again this year, Israel's political, domestic political context is not very much conducive to, of course, Ankara's normalization efforts. But still, perhaps after the elections, we can see some steps coming from Israel as well. But I would like to say something about what Turkey is hoping to get from normalization with Israel. And it is uh, not only you know, decreasing her regional isolation, but also there is this Biden effect. People talk about this. And I agree. Uh, with Bi President Biden taking office, uh, President Erdogan will no longer uh, enjoy the privileges of leader to leader uh, relations established during the uh, Trump administration. And Turkish-American relations are expected to enter a tough period, at least in the short run, considering the Biden administration's sensitivity toward the issues of democracy and human rights. So given the anti-Turkish opposition in the U.S. Congress, Turkey might be hoping that Israel can neutralize the opposition and perhaps help Turkey win Washington's ear again. But all depends on, of course, restoration of mutual trust between the two countries. Uh, before that, I don't expect Israel to lobby on behalf of Turkey if they cannot you know, solve their issues in the first place. And I guess something does come to mind because you keep <laughs> like turning the kaleidoscope and, and things that could unsettle this. We haven't yet mentioned the Kurdish issue which has a particular resonance in both Turkish domestic and regional mm -hmm. politics. Is there any chance that the Kurdish issue could take a turn which could jeopardize a Turkish-Israeli rapprochement? Or is Israel distanced enough from the Kurdish issue that it shouldn't have any effect? Well, if, if Turkey and Israel can mend their ties, this will, I think, help Turkey's cause, or how can I say, Turkey's presenting the Kurdish dossier to Washington. It's interesting that unlike Turkey, Israel has never considered Kurds as an, an existential threat. Historically, Israel has always had cordial relations with the Kurds dating back to Mullah Barzani years. Even when Turkey and Israel began to develop a strategic alliance in the 1990s, Israel preferred to address it from a broader perspective, broader framework of cooperation against terrorism instead of taking an active role in Turkey's struggle against PKK in order not to alienate the Kurds in the region. Of course, no one can deny the fact that Mossad and CIA assisted Turkey in capturing the PKK leader Erdogan. It was a door-to-door -door delivery to the Turkish intelligence uh, in 1999. But I would like to come back to Israel's support for the referendum of 2017 because it, it was important in terms of you know, undermining uh, trust in the so-called normalization process, which didn't work out well uh, after 2016. I had the chance to uh, talk to uh, Israeli officials on this issue for my research. 
cue shameless self-promotion here, <laughs> I can say that uh, Israel's decision was motivated by both domestic and foreign concerns. Uh, an overlooked uh, detail here is that there are about uh, 300,000 Kurdish Jews living in Israel. A majority of these people are wealthy families who support the Likud party. Also, Israel's response was a tit-for-tat for Erdogan's support for, Hama, for Hamas. So they were pressing on each other's toes, uh, we can say. So in the, uh, in the case that uh, we see a reconciliation between Turkey and Israel, perhaps you know, Israel would go back to its traditional uh, ambivalent stance, perhaps, with regard to the Kurds, instead of coming out and uh, providing full support, or at least presenting to give uh, support for their uh, sovereignty demands in the region. That's my hunch. Your hunches have been so great throughout this. For now, I, I have to pause, but let's, uh, can I get a promise for you that maybe in a few months time after the Israeli election and after other developments that, that you'll come back and see whether this diplomatic dance is working out between Israel and, mm -hmm. and Turkey or whether they are stepping on each other's toes again. <laughs> with, 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 with great pleasure, I would like to come back and discuss these issues, of course. <laughs> That's fantastic. Sidley Nasi, thank you so much uh, for introducing us to this Turkish-Israeli issue. And let me thank you, viewers, for joining us on World Unfiltered uh, on this learning process. Uh, we will be back soon in another week or two with yet a follow-up program, not just about Turkey and Israel, but about other areas of the world. Until then, please follow Deep Dive Politics on Facebook on Twitter. Stay safe, stay sane, and be decent to one another. I'm Scott Lucas, and this is World Unfiltered.